This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Great, amen. Amen. Our Lord is great, and let me tell you, it's just so huge for us to continually grow in awe of who He is. You know, we should never get to a place where all of a sudden we lose our awe for who He is. We should only grow in that. The more that we know Him, the more that we understand His love for us, it should just overwhelm us with how awesome that He is. And I pray that that will continue today through the preaching of the Word and through God just working on your heart throughout this day and throughout this week. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to continue in our series called Toolkit for Life. And so far, we have talked about hammering out fear as well as taking the saw and cutting to the core. And today, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about keeping things level and exactly what that looks like and how you and I are to do that as believers, to stay balanced in the eyes of God and not to think too highly of ourselves and get off base and get off track. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll go into 1 Peter chapter 5. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak your words to your people. I pray that your words would be heard by your people. I pray I would speak your word today with clarity and with authority and with anointing, Lord, that only you can give. And I pray that that anointing would break and destroy any yoke of bondage that the enemy may have someone bound by. I pray for freedom in this place. I pray for healing in this place. I pray that eyes would be open in this place. I pray hearts would be softened. I pray ears would be open so we can hear your truth, the truth that sets us free. And I pray, Father, that as we hear that truth, that we won't deceive ourselves in just hearing it, but we will go out and actually apply it and do it because we will be just so deeply inspired and convicted by the Holy Spirit to take this word, your word, and do something with it to bring glory to your name, Lord, and to help us grow in reflecting who you are to the world as we grow in awe of who you are. I thank you in advance for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking here at Peter. You remember Peter, the apostle, the one that cut off the soldier's ear when Jesus was arrested, the one that denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. You remember Peter, the one that was always asking the questions, right? Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and now Jesus has already ascended into heaven, and now Peter has been emboldened and empowered to preach the gospel and go out into all of these different areas and to help establish churches, to help to preach the gospel, to help to further the message of Christ. And he would minister primarily to these Jewish people um, who had recently converted to Christianity or to evangelize and try to attempt to convert them to Christianity. But this letter in particular was one that Peter wrote to the area of Asia Minor, which was primarily made up of Greek people, so non-believing people who did not have a foundation of God. They did not understand. They didn't grow up Jewish. They didn't grow up with that heritage. And so these people grew up worshiping pagan idols. And here Peter was writing a letter to a set of churches in Asia Minor, and that's what we have here, 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, one of the things that was happening in Peter's day to these churches that he was writing these letters to, that he was addressing in the letter 
was he was addressing the fact that they were under persecution. Now, at this time, it wasn't where they were putting people to death. At this point, they were just beating people and imprisoning them. It hadn't got to the point of where there were actual martyrs at this particular area where he was writing to. And these guys were beginning to feel like they were pretty awesome because they were being persecuted. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but they began to think that that was a mark of spirituality or a mark of I have arrived or a mark of now I'm really a Christian because look at what I'm going through. And that's kind of the attitude that the people that Peter was writing to had taken. Even though they were going through trials, they had become prideful in the fact that they were going through difficulty. And Peter's writing this letter to them to help give them structure in the church setting to help them to make sure that everyone's accountable to somebody. And then as he's addressing that church structure, he begins to address this issue of the persecution that the people in Asia Minor are going through. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, this section here, he's primarily talking to those who are in leadership in the churches. This could be translated uh, in our modern-day vernacular the way that we would look at a senior pastor or a board of elders or something like that, people who have been entrusted with responsibility and authority to lead the people of God and instruct them. He's saying, listen, you guys need to make sure that you're doing this honestly and that you're not doing it for dishonest gain, but you're being examples because you remember Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd over all of us. Verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. So you're not the only one going through this. Verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, a couple things here that we see is that he says, all right, you younger guys, you need to submit to those who are older. He said, you need to respect their wisdom, respect their experience. Don't think that you know it all, because young people think they know it all, right? (laughs) Now, 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 you may giggle and laugh at that, but did you know that in the culture that he was writing to, a young person was still considered a young person until they were about 45? That was kind of one of those transitional ages. So if, if you're under that, according to that day and time anyways, you were still considered a young person. So a lot of times, you know, we always look at people who are younger and they do foolish things. They make foolish 
arrogant decisions, and he's saying, listen to these guys. These guys have something to say. They have something that we need to be respectful of, and we need to also understand that I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how much of the Bible you've read, how much church you've been to. You don't know everything. Amen? Amen. We had a 68-year-old man up here about two weeks ago preaching a message to us from the Bible that he had studied for 40 years, and he opened up by saying, I've been around long enough to know enough that I don't know. (laughs) And so if he can say that, then it makes me think, wow, what do we really know? And am I really teachable? Am I still positioning my heart in a way that I am teachable? I think a lot of times we become really passive or we'll turn a deaf ear very quickly to something that may sound very familiar or something that may kind of be something we go, oh, I've heard that before. I already know that. And we kind of turn off our teachable switch and we kind of turn it off and we're not open to what the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm not very old myself. I consider myself a young man, and I hope you do too. My kids don't, but they don't know anything. <clears throat> but I've learned enough in my 33 years on this earth that the older that I get, the more I find the simple things are the ones that are really the most helpful in my life. And the things that I used to make complicated 5, 10, 15 years ago are actually a lot more simple than I've made them out to be. And I think that as we get older, sometimes older people speak with such a simplicity to young ears that they dismiss it quickly. But I would encourage you to listen. And that's part of us humbling ourselves and being teachable even when you hear something preached or taught, that you may go, oh, that's so simple. I want to challenge you to look in the simplicity and see what is God trying to speak to you today because His Word is always powerful. It's that two-edged sword, amen? It's always alive, it's always quick, and it's always powerful. And He can always use even the simplest thing to pierce our heart and to teach us something that would deal with exactly where we're at in that very moment if we maintain a teachable, humble heart. One of the things that I think we need to do to keep it level is to stay clothed in humility. I love the way that Peter says this. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. We need to put it on like clothing. That's what he says in verse 5. He said, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. You know what that tells me? I don't know about you, but I change my clothes. Do you change your clothes? I hope so. If not, there's another sermon somewhere along the line that I'm sure I could preach that would help you and assist you with the need to change your clothes. Sometimes my children think that wearing the same thing three days in a row because it doesn't smell bad to them means it doesn't smell bad to anyone else. They don't understand. You need to change your clothes. It's interesting that Peter uses clothes in reference and in a parallel to humility. So that means that it's not something that is on me all of the time, and it's something that I need to put on daily. This is something that I need to regularly do. I need to clothe myself 
and humility. This is one of the ways that we keep it level. Humility is practiced through a level, sober mind that is consciously making the decision to do what honors God in every situation in life by asking this simple question. Is this a God-honoring decision? Now, don't dismiss the simplicity of that question. I want you to think about that. I want you to write it down if you're taking notes. Is this a God-honoring decision? Is this a God-honoring conversation I'm having on the phone right now? Is this a God-honoring relationship? Is this a God-honoring purchase? Are these things honoring God. One of the ways that I stay clothed in humility is by not putting myself on the top and constantly reminding myself that God's on top. Amen? When I remind myself that God is on top, it helps me to not think higher of myself than I should, and it keeps me humble and helps me to make logical decisions. He said, be sober in what you do. Be sober-minded. And so is this a God-honoring decision? Is this a God-honoring action? Or is this a God-honoring reaction? That oftentimes that question right there will lead us to repentance, especially after we've blown it, right? When we've reacted poorly, when something has come our way that we jumped the gun too quick or maybe we said something stupid or foolish or maybe we did something that we're like, oh, I wish I could build a time machine and I could go back in time. I could do a little, you know, time travel like Doc Brown. <clears throat> how, many, how many gigawatts did he need? Anybody remember? 8. <laughs> now you're going to be thinking about that the rest of the day. Great. <clears throat> It's the simple things. It's the simple things. If we could build a time machine, we would want to say, I want to go back in time and take back those words. Huh. But if I ask myself, is that a God-honoring reaction? And if the answer is no, then I need to do something. I need to go apologize. I need to repent, both to people and to God. Amen? Amen. That's just part of being humble. It's part of realizing, man, I I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I'll tell you another huge way to stay clothed in humility. Ask questions before you act. I think that's a way that we honor those who are more experienced and older and more seasoned in life than us. We bounce things off of them. We ask them, what do they think? We ask them, what would they do? We ask them, what do they view? What, what, What are you seeing Because behind their answer is going to be not only their opinion, but there's going to be a lot of experience. Amen? Amen. And I think that that's part of us exercising wisdom and putting us in a position of humility is asking questions. If you don't ask questions and you act first, especially in major decisions in your life, you are moving forward with pride and arrogance. And the Bible says that pride comes before fall. Amen? Amen? Pride comes before a fall, and we need to ask, is this a God-honoring action and reaction? And if it's not, then I am not submitted to God. And if I'm not submitted to God, then I'm out of balance. My mind is not right, and I am not balanced in my thinking or in my heart position, because really, humility is a heart position. It is a positioning of our heart. And it is something that we have to consciously do because humility just doesn't happen naturally and nobody in the room can say they're awesome at it. I'll let that one sink in just a minute. 
Nobody can say, well, I don't need this message. I'm awesome at humility. It doesn't work that way. Humility is a position of your heart. Now, there is pride in thinking that you are so spiritual and humble and pious because pride trips us up and the enemy wants to use pride to hurt us. But a lot of times, pride blinds us to realizing that we're wounded. Have you ever been hurt doing something but you didn't really feel the pain until you got home and you stopped moving and you got steel and you're like, oh man, that hurt worse than I thought. Man, I, I'm completely immobile. Or I didn't even realize I had this cut on my arm because you were so engaged and so focused in what you were doing that you didn't realize you were wounded. That's exactly what pride does to us. Pride will wound you in a way that you won't realize you're wounded because you think you're awesome and you think you're so smart and you're so humble or you've got it all figured out and you're not listening to anyone else and you don't even realize how wounded you are. And what does the Bible say about that? He just said here in Peter that our adversary, the devil, is moving to and fro like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. What type of prey does a lion try to devour? Prey that's strong and healthy and quick and fast? Or prey that is wounded? It's going to go after the wounded prey, right? The lion goes, oh, let me watch this, this pack of, of these animals. And there's one that's kind of lagging behind. Oh, he got his foot stuck in a rock and he twisted his, his leg and he's not walking quite right. That's the one the lion's going to go for. The problem is, is that we don't realize we're wounded because of the pride. We don't realize that there's something going on in us because we have gotten so prideful in our thinking and in our view of ourselves. You see, just because you may be suffering doesn't make you more spiritual than anyone else. Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, I'm, I'm suffering for Jesus. Good. That's good. Are you, are, you, are you really? Are you suffering for Jesus? We think I'm suffering. We think oh, things are so bad. Oh, poor old me. And here's the trap that the lion loves to get us in to devour us in our pride. Is whether we become arrogant in our false humility or whether we become arrogant in saying we don't need God and we're going to do things our own way. Both things isolate us. Both of those decisions, both of those heart positions isolate us. And that's what any good predator is going to try to do is isolate his prey. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. You see, the biggest trick of the enemy is to get us to think higher of ourselves than we should because that type of thinking isolates us. We either put ourselves up higher than everyone else, or everybody else was just figure this out. I mean, my goodness, it's so easy. <laughs> I'm just so smart. If everybody else could just do what I do, I mean, I'm pretty much the example for humanity. <laughs> and we put ourselves up on this incredibly high pedestal where we want everyone to look and see how accomplished we are, how smart we are, how spiritual we are, how loud we pray, what big fancy words we use, and how big our Bible is. And we want everybody to see how great everything is. And what does that do? It isolates you, doesn't it? It isolates you. People go, wow, that guy's in a, in a league of his own, right? 
person thinks they're better than everyone else. Or let's take it to the other extreme where we began to think of ourselves too low. I'm all alone. Poor old me. Nobody cares about me. Oh, I'm, 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 so, I'm, I'm so offended. No one recognizes what's happening in my life. And then the other extreme is, is that we begin to isolate ourselves in that manner. Both ways put us in a position where we are susceptible to what the enemy wants to do in our lives. You see how sneaky that is? Man, that is a sneaky, sneaky tactic. Because, man, I mean, we always understand the guy who thinks he's awesome and better than everybody else. Sure, we think when we hear a sermon on pride, that's what we think about. We think about somebody else, right? I mean, man, I sure wish so-and-so was here to hear this message today. Bless God, I tell you what, they need to be humbled. Okay, well, isolating ourselves. See how sneaky that that is? See how sneaky that, 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 that lie is? Or... Poor old me, nobody cares about me. Isolation. The enemy would love to get you isolated because if you can get isolated away from a family of believers, if you can get isolated away from church, if, you, if he can isolate you away from people who care about you, then you will be more susceptible to believe whatever he whispers in your ear. And he's wanting to devour you in your own selfishness, in your own pride. He's wanting that to just completely take over. Because he understands how to get in there and how to work. But here's the thing. It's still a form of pride. And it still comes before a fall. And it still puts us in a bad position. Submission to God's Authority, submission to what God would want us to do is equated to the level of trust that I have of Him in my heart. And it's not me thinking higher of myself than I should, but rather it's me putting my trust and my rest and my joy and my peace completely wrapped up in who God is. And so the real question that should settle our hearts, and it's going to sound incredibly simple to you, but the question that should settle our hearts is this, is God really good? I know we would all say amen, right? We're in church. We're saying God's good. But do we act like God is good? I mean, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God is good? If God is so good, then why am I hurting so much right now? If God is so good, why am I struggling so much right now? You see how the enemy wants to come in and get you to think higher of yourself than you should to isolate you away from God? See how sneaky that is? Man, I'm trying to give you the tools that you will need in your life to help you stay level because we can get out of balance so quickly. We can get out of balance so quickly. You, you, you see, why am I struggling so much? How come it's working out for these people? I'm doing all of this and they're living this way. Well, why is it not working out for me? Doesn't God know how many times I've prayed? Do you trust that God is good. Think about that. Do I trust that God is good? Do I trust that God is faithful? Then it's none of my business of the blessing or the sin or the struggle of it that's in someone else's life. I need to focus on my relationship with him first and foremost. Amen? Amen. And not compare myself to what's happening in someone else's life. Oh, well, what about this group? Well, what about that group? They just have it all born with a silver spoon in their mouth. All these different things that we present to God. 
all of our different accolades and all of our trophies that we present to God as if we can somehow move Him with all of our trophies. Look at my attendance record at church. Look at all the Bible verses I've memorized. Look at all the good things that I've done. And we keep laying up all these treasures to try to manipulate God's hand to somehow go, oh, that's pretty impressive. I guess I'll do what you want me to do. You see, our definition of goodness should not be wrapped up in getting our way. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Don't worry. (laughs) Our definition of goodness does not mean getting our way. So so let me help you out with this. I want to help us all this morning, including myself, because I'm talking to me this morning too. Sometimes my level of trust in God is only is limited by how good that I think he is based on what my definition of good is. Oh, come on somebody. <laughs> you see, here's the thing, if I really trust that God is good, then regardless of what season of life I may be in, regardless of what the enemy tries to bring my way to try to take me out, to try to discourage me, to try to distract me, I can stand firm by believing God is good and God's goodness should dictate how my heart responds to pressure. God's goodness. So if I don't know how good he is, then I need to get to know him. I need to look in his word. I need to find who he is so I can know God, I want to trust you more, so help me see your heart and who you are, so I can see your love and your great compassion and what you've done for me, so I can walk in victory instead of walking in defeat. Victory in Jesus does not mean me always getting my way. It means that sin that leads to death no longer has a grip and a hold on my life and can call the shots. That's what victory in Jesus means doesn't mean that everything's going to go my way because I become a Christian. No, it means that I am free from the power of darkness that used to dictate my life. And now I can walk in freedom, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is in me. And that should let me know that God is good all of the time. Amen? All of the time. Not just some of the time. Not just when things go my way. Ooh, nobody claps their amens on that part. (laughs) God is good all of the time, even when things don't go my way. Because things in this life are not going to go your way, folks. But is God still good? You know, sometimes that's all you need to just say in those moments of, of, of fear, in those moments where you're tempted to isolate. You need to ask yourself, is God good? Help me to make God-honoring decisions when the pressure's on. It's easy to make God-honoring decisions when everything's going great and you're like on a spiritual cloud nine, right? But what about when the pressure comes on or you get challenged with something that makes you uncomfortable or a difficult decision? What's the God-honoring decision at this moment? Mm. I liked it better when it was like all bunnies and cotton candy and clouds and kumbaya. I I liked it better. I I don't know about this. No, no, no. Is God still good? Is this still a God-honoring decision? Let me humble my heart to trust Him more and more. You know that old song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Oh man, what a great song. We should have sang that this morning. That would have been a great one. You know, I just think how, he's, how I've proved Him over and over. 
Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. You see, humility gives my heart peace because pressure wants to give me fear, stress, anxiety, worry. That's what pressure wants to do, and there's plenty of pressure in this world. And it's only going to grow the darker that the days get. But the, the, the darker the darkness gets, the brighter that the light should get. Amen? So I should have peace in the middle of the darkness trying to encroach upon my life or my sphere of influence or my job or my family or my marriage or my kids. I should have peace that should pass my understanding and it's actually going to guard my heart is what the Bible says. It's going to guard my heart and my mind because of Christ Jesus. And that's why Peter is trying to tell us here in verse 8 that we need to be sober. We need to be sober. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have been the opposite of that? (laughs) But here's the thing. If you've ever been drunk before, you're not level. You're not balanced. You're not truly 100% yourself. You've got something else that's kind of clouding your judgment, clouding your vision. So you're going to say and do stupid, stupid, stupid stuff when you're drunk. That's why he says, don't be drunk. Don't be drunk. Be sober. Don't get drunk on yourself. Because if you get drunk on yourself, you will do something stupid when you're drunk. Remember how big God is and how he's for you. Because it's time to grow and get level-headed and get level-hearted. You want me to be real with you? Yep. Okay. I'm about to straight get ghetto. Now listen. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Amen? That's what you need to do. You need to check your heart and check your head before you get too drunk on yourself because the enemy's looking for wounded prey. He's looking for drunk prey. He's looking for somebody that ain't thinking straight. He's looking for somebody that wants to get off into this land of feeling sorry for themselves as a victim or this person that thinks they got it all and don't need God, doesn't need church, doesn't need community, doesn't need church family. He's looking for people that are willing to just get drunk on themselves because he can go, I can pick that one off. And then the next thing you know, you got somebody offended at church, you got somebody offended in relationships, you got somebody mad at God, you got somebody that's wanting to just completely separate themselves from everything good and everything perfect and everything holy that comes from God because they got drunk on themselves. Somebody making stupid decisions because they drank too much of the lie that they were the only one that was either in this situation or they were the only one and nobody understood. And they drank and drank and drank that poison until they couldn't see straight. And then they drank and drank and drank until they thought they were better than everybody. And they start doing stupid stuff. And then the next thing you know, it's over. And they're mad, and they're offended, they're upset. That's why the Bible says we should not think higher of ourselves than we should. We need to be level-headed and level-hearted, so we need to check our heart. And we check our heart by asking, is this a God-honoring decision? Because the Word and the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you is the level that should keep you balanced. 
That's why we need to ask. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Have we asked God? Is this a God-honoring decision? Have we talked to the Lord about the situation? Have we tried to move forward without letting our emotions run the show or our offense running the show or our arrogance running the show? And instead we say, God, what is the thing that would honor you most in this situation? And then whatever the answer to that thing is, hmm... Actually doing that. Checking ourselves before we just completely mess up. Before we blow it. Is this a God-honoring decision? Am I being submitted to His Word and His truth? Remember Peter using that clothed? Remember this is something we have to put on? This is something that we've got to do daily, day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute, sometimes second by second. We've got to do this. We've got to remind ourselves that this is not about me, but it's about His glory and His honor. That it's about Him and His goodness and me showing that goodness and trusting and resting in that goodness. Amen, somebody? I want to share one more scripture with you before we close this morning. This message has challenged you and encouraged you and whatever else. Maybe it's messed you up a little bit. That's okay, too. (laughs) Romans chapter 12. Sometimes we we need to be messed up a little bit, right? Because we think we got it all together and we need somebody to come mess up our cookie jar, spill our milk, right? <laughs> Romans. Everything's just going fine. Everybody's just sitting at the breakfast table until somebody spills milk. Then you just messed it up. Oh, man. And then you've got to get up and you've got to do something different. You may have forgot where you were until that milk spills. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my goodness, we've got to clean this mess up. Maybe God's done that a little bit today. And if so, that's not a bad thing. That's still him being good. Because his definition of good and your definition of good probably don't line up all the time. So sometimes that ooh or that oh man, I don't like that. God, that's him being good. That's him being good. Romans chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul talking about preserving unity in the church. Because you remember in the book of Romans that he was talking to two different groups of people. He was talking to Jewish Christians and uh, Gentile Christians, those, those Greek Christians. And he's trying to get them to walk together because the Jews are thinking they're better because they have Abraham and they have the law. And the Gentiles say, no, we're better because we don't have to unlearn all of those things and all those traditions and rituals that you put your faith in. We're just putting our faith in Jesus. So, I mean, we've kind of got it figured out. And they're both going against each other. And Paul's writing to the Romans going, no, no, no. You guys need to understand. It's not about Jew. It's not about Gentile. It's one in Christ. And he says, for us to truly bring glory to God, we need to preserve that unity. So here's what he says in reference to that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think how? Soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He said, listen, guys. He said, everybody in this place, he said, is unique. And everybody is special and matters to God. And no one matters more than the other person. He says, a matter of fact, I want you guys not to think more highly of yourselves than you are. Because I guarantee you, every church division, every church split has started with someone thinking of themselves more highly than they should. And it does not honor God at all. 
It is not God-honoring. It is not something that is a testimony to the world. Hey, come be a part of this thing we call church. It's extremely dysfunctional. Why don't you come and be... <laughs> Nobody gets along. I, I mean, come on. They see that in, in, in their everyday lives. What, what's so attractive about that? When the church becomes attractive to the world is when we become different and we begin to show them something that is unique to what they would naturally expect when a group of people get together. And, and for it to be unique and God-honoring, it's got to be people who are willing to be humble and submit themselves to the authority of the Word of God. Amen? And go, you know what? I'm not going to walk in offense. I'm going to walk in unity because I'm not going to think of myself more highly than I should. I'm going to exercise Matthew 18, how Jesus told me to go and take those things that would offend me to the person that offended me. And if they didn't hear me, then I'll bring someone with me, not to accuse them, but to try to remedy the situation. Jesus says, I want this thing to be restored because the goal is always reconciliation and restoration. That's what it's been throughout the entire Bible. Amen? Amen. And if we're to reflect that message of reconciliation of man to God then we need to be able to model that between one another. Amen? Amen. And so the grace that's given to us, we should remember that it's not about me, but it's about Him. And what is the God-honoring decision in this moment? And if I think of myself more soberly and humble my heart and clothe myself in humility and ask, what would God have me do? Then I will be able to deal with, with my brother and my sister in a manner of love that will preserve unity and will be a testimony to the world. Because the world should be able to look at the church and go, I used to know those two people. They used to be at each other's throat all the time. They're sitting by each other in church. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why? I remember what they did to you. Well, because I'm navigating my life with a different value now. I'm not thinking of myself higher than I should. I'm, I'm remembering that, you know what, I received grace and that person received grace and the thing that connects us is the grace of God and we've both been pretty rotten in the eyes of God. But God still gives us His love and His grace. Amen? Amen. And so who am I to say that I can't give to some, someone what God has given so freely to me? That's me saying I'm smarter and better and wiser than God. If I get to dictate who gets forgiven and who gets grace, man, that's a hard word. But I pray that you take it and I pray that you apply it. I pray that all of us learn to walk together, that we learn to walk in unity as a church family, that we learn to walk in unity in our relationships, that we learn to not think of ourselves more highly than we should, that we clothe ourselves in humility, because I want us to remember that God desires for us to stay humble, because humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, He will exalt you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.